You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, the latest episode of Music Tectonics. I'm your very irregular host, Tristan Neuer Jaeger of Rock, Paper, Scissors. And today I am going to talk to Travis Rosenblatt, who's the CEO and founder of Meddling, um, as well as Signal Distribution. Before becoming a serial uh, solopreneur, if I don't say that five times fast, Travis spent several years in A&R um, at some pretty notable companies like that, you know, label you might have heard of called Warner. And he's used these insights to create uh, various tools for his fellow A&R aficionados um, looking for trends, music, uh, artists, all that good stuff. Um, but I'm actually going to let him take... Uh, take the lead here and tell us a little bit about ANR. Um, first off though, Travis, thanks for, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, um, I know you've got a lot of really, uh, strong and interesting opinions about the world of ANR and artists and data and labels and all that fun stuff. So I'm excited to get into that. But first of all, I found myself wondering as I was preparing to talk to you, what in the world are we even talking about when we talk about ANR in 2021? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I think that people are, uh, kind of afraid to dig into it or, or acknowledge where we're at, um, as an industry, uh, for, for a number of reasons. Um, one being it, it, it devalues their, their own position if it's not, you know, a, a magical skill set. If what we're doing now is is demystifying the idea of, of artist discovery, then uh, you know these labels can't really pretend that they have you know some magic sauce, some magic skill set when it comes to uh, finding new talent. Um, there used to be just more variable that you could hide behind, um, and now uh, we, we've lost that just as you know those those variables have have disappeared on us. Um, but the idea of uh, what I'm hoping we will agree to no longer call A&R research at some point uh, has been around for forever. I mean, it, it used to be that you'd call the local radio station, see what they were spinning, call the local record store and see if people were then going and buying that music. You were looking for that, that relationship. It was just a very manual process. Um, and obviously that was still, you know, relationship driven. They, they had to know you and be willing to talk about it. Uh, now that, you know, consumption has gone digital and then all other music interaction has just about gone away, uh, we can start to automate these things into, uh, you know, a, a system. We can put some rigor behind this. We can have some intelligent numbers that we put to things uh, to just make this easier on us. And I think that's what, what we're going to see, um, you know, certainly uh, over the last year uh, and and more of this year, is just a widespread adoption of of this idea of A and R research, and then and then hopefully some, you know, intelligence around uh, learning how to use it better and and properly. Um, I, I think that that there's a a long way to go, but now that everyone has been thrown headfirst into it whether they want it to be or not, um, we're going to be there. There's, there's no going back on this. Uh, thankfully, we will have you know, live music and meetings and, and all sorts of other things back again, but we're not going to 
to lose these skills that we're developing now. Cool. And, you know, one thing that's interesting about this very data-driven world where, it, you know, where A&R is turned from this sort of dark art and um, kind of self-fulfilling prophecy at times. Like if you had a hit, you were good at A&R, right? Um, no yeah. matter whether it was an accident or whatever. Um, so it's gone from this dark art to this sort of data science in certain ways, though there's still, of course, uh, human taste and curation and and that um, a little bit of the intangible still in there. Um, I'm wondering, you know, people are looking at platforms like TikTok that are also very data-driven, algorithm-driven, and stuff kind of pops up and in this sort of blaze of glory pops out um, and and captures listeners' imaginations and, of course, then the industry's ear as well. Um, how can we tell the difference between something that's a legitimate trend um, that's based in some kind of perhaps sustainable fan base or something that will will keep a business plan running, um, if I'm thinking like a label, versus what's just a, a fad or like just a weird outlying moment or quirky, quirky kind of not so great track, but it seems to really go well with that meme about cats or whatever. Um, tell me a bit more about your perspective on that and how, you know, as someone who's tried to build tools to find these bigger trends, how you uh, approach that problem. Well, I think what you uh, what you mentioned about you know the algorithm being able to surface these things faster, it, it's pretty simple when it comes down to it. You have to recognize that that algorithm that you're talking about, and we'll stick with the TikTok example, but obviously there are other platforms. Um, the algorithm on, on TikTok that's surfacing things, uh, you know, quickly and creates these kind of moments and, and memes around these things, it's not surfacing artists it's not surfacing songs that's not what it's built for it's surfacing videos uh it's surfacing the the content that's in them and it's important to recognize that just because a a song is in a video that is going viral or is viral uh is not it's not because of that song um so like you said when you have something that's you know kind of a, a flash in the pan video about uh, you know, I've seen everything these days, but, it, you know, let's say there's a, a some kind of video about dressing your cat up as a cowboy. You're seeing that because of that content, not necessarily so, uh, because of the song that's soundtracking it. And we just uh, have to recognize that those are two different things that we're talking about. Uh, you know, there's the algorithms that are surfacing the, this content, not necessarily because of the song. Um, and then there are, I mean, there are good songs that, that will get covered and get out there when they're attached to things like that. Um, but it's not because of that, you know, these are, are, you'll see a, a, a wider reach of that sound, be, you know, because it's in that video, uh, not because it's a great song. Uh, and we just have to always look at, at the context, um, and trust that, uh, you know, we we need to have a uh, a vision for these artists for these songs. It has to be something that that when you hear it as an AR, you have a vision for what that career looks like. Um, and if you don't, if you don't know why it's popular, uh, and if you don't have a vision for where it goes now, uh, it's probably best to just leave it alone. That is such a great point. I feel like there's a lot of emphasis nowadays because there's this whiz bang, you know, exciting new world of data analytics that, um, you know, feels kind of 
cool and trendy and techy and um but we forget about what comes next so i found this i've identified an artist what do i do next right um and is there not, not to not to bring data into everything but are there ways you've seen people use the kind of data that meddling presents to take that next step and figure out like where an artist can go to become uh, to have a sustainable career and not just a one-hit wonder kind of deal um certainly i mean there are there are indications that uh, that there's something more meaningful going on with the artist, um, particularly if you see, you know, it, it cross-platform. Um, if people are, are seeing it somewhere, then streaming it somewhere else, um, or if they're, uh, if they're searching for it uh, is a, uh, a great way to know that someone actually cares about that artist or at least wants to know more about that artist rather than just that video that it's in. Um, but there is a uh, there is a balance there. You have to be able to recognize something for what it is, trust your gut, and go for it. Or you have to wait long enough uh, to know that it's crossing somewhere and it's going to be a hit. But if you wait long enough to see if it's going to be a hit, it's already a hit, and you're too late. Uh, there's a there's a definite balance there that you have to strike um, in terms of of how early you want to be which means you trusting your gut more versus uh, how much you want to see the data validating your own opinion first. That makes a ton of sense. Um, and maybe it's all of the uh, buzz around GameStop that's been in the news lately, but <laughs> it almost sounds to me like you're trying to time uh, a stock buy. Like it, it, there's a, an investment kind of angle to it that is um, hard to hard to escape, that there's that pivot point that you try to jump in right when, um, the deal is right, right? It's not too, sure. you, you have enough information to know there's value, but it's not so over, or, or you're not in a bidding war um, with your competitors um, oh, to driving up the deal. Yeah. I like to reference it. I, I draw the parallel um, usually with, with private investment, with, with um, thinking about A&Rs as venture capitalists, and you're looking at these artists as companies. And you have to... Um, yeah, at, at some point decide where you are, what what your particular A&R investment thesis is um, in order to kind of look for that and match that behavior. And there are definitely certain, um, you know, labels out there that would rather wait and spend 10 times more money once uh, versus other labels that will spend, you know, a tenth of that 10 more times over. And it just, it's in terms of what you're, you're looking for, um, you know, at, at what stage, um, the, I mean, the most obvious example to me is, is looking at, say, a, a, you know, a major label where signing a new project, um, even if it's no advance, is, is you know, a half million dollars or, or whatever is a sizable chunk of change just around your staff time and marketing um, versus, say, a talent agency where there's very little upfront cost um, in actually signing new talent. Um, they're going to be more willing to go after more things earlier. Um, and it... it, it absolutely scales to uh, to where your A&R investment thesis is. Let's take a quick break and then we'll continue this awesome conversation. I love meeting Music Tectonics listeners at our events and I want to make more opportunities for you to meet and support each other, virtually at least. That's why we're launching Together Tuesdays, a virtual meetup in the Music Tectonics community app. Every Tuesday starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, that's 11 a.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. in the UK. I'll kick things off with a text post in the community forum, and I hope you'll join in the discussions whenever you can on Tuesdays. Post your questions and answer other members, and every month we'll feature our favorites on this podcast. Look for the hashtag 
Together Tuesday and use it in your posts and comments to help us find your posts. If you're not a member yet, I'll tell you how to join the app at the end of this episode. Now back to the show. Oh, we're back with uh, <laughs> Travis Rosenblatt of Meddling and Signal Distribution. Um, Travis, you were laying down some pretty cool uh, thoughts on exactly how labels can approach, labels or agencies or other people seeking talent can approach finding artists, cultivating artists, determining, sort of determining the signal from the noise, so to speak, in the data. Um, what about from the artist perspective? We're in such a crazy era when um, artists have gained a certain amount of negotiating power where they can uh, find other alternatives to a label deal in the traditional sense. Um, what What is the role for um you know, what kind of role do labels need to play? How do they need to think about themselves in this day and age if they want to be able to um, connect with artists that are really promising and do look like they have a lot of potential? You've mentioned like marketing, um, labels thinking about not marketing the artist, but marketing to the artist up front. Yeah. I mean, this is something we're going to continue to see. You have um, a, a lot of, of options out there. I mean, it used to be you had to sign a label in order to get your, you know, your record into stores. Um, and obviously that has gone away. Um, and for a long time, there was still also this idea of, well, you still need a label if you want to get, you know, your song on radio. There, there were barriers to entry to the market that labels had cornered. And um, those are, are, you know, are kind of crumbling around us with, uh, you know, diminishing port radio or, or, the ability for, you know, a, a distro kid artist to go and hire the syndicate to do a campaign for them. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot more options that, that artists have, and therefore artists have a bunch more leverage in the relationship. Uh, and that's also why we're seeing, you know, these license deals now that are, are shorter terms, alternative to kind of the, you know, 60 point PPD that was pretty standard forever. You know, these, these six album 360 deals, um, well, not forever, the 360, whatever, is 10, 15 years old. But uh, we're going to see a, a lot more change on that um, and different ways of, of thinking about it. I think you're going to see a, a, a bifurcation of the market toward, um, you know, what I'll call distribution plus, uh, which would be distribution plus some services. Uh, and I think those will get built out, you know, by, uh, by the distributors who are able to offer, uh, you know, services on top of their existing offering since they've already kind of gone to the, uh, the race to the bottom in terms of cost. Um, and then labels have to figure out what their own value proposition is. Because uh, I think they have, uh, you know, recently not done a great job of, of communicating that well to the artist community. I think that they're seen largely as, uh, well, first validation to the artists. You know, I, I'm not just another SoundCloud rapper. I'm signed to Interscope. Uh, and then a checkbook, because that's w what they see out of that relationship. And so we've just seen those checks get larger and larger and larger. Um, but, you know, it wasn't long ago, I would lose deals all the time to much smaller check sizes, but much cooler labels who had a community. And I, and I understood why. Um, I used to also be able to tell you the difference between, you know, the roster at Columbia versus the roster at Atlantic. And I, I just can't do that anymore. And I don't think that an artist can either. Um, and as these deals kind of get larger and larger, uh, I think you can see labels start to, to brand themselves again. 
um, and realize that they can spend less uh, on these artists if the artists want to be with them to begin with. Um, and you do that by creating a, a really strong brand, a really strong community that, you know, differentiates you from the other guy. Um, my guess is it'll be one or two labels that, that figure that out. And then everyone has to kind of get on board with that. Interesting. It's almost like a re indification in that the indie labels have always sort of, that's always been their forte is you, you know, uh, you knew what was on 4AD, you knew what was on um, Sub Pop, right? Like they, their roster was super, uh, you know, had a a nuance, a a granular quality to it um, where, you know, you can almost see how everything connected in there and that with their visuals or design, everything is that they had a, a distinct aesthetic, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And if I think about universal, like there are many, um, or, or Warner or Sony, I, I can't think of an aesthetic, right? Right. Um, exactly. There's nothing there. Yeah. Or it's just very, it is very, um, they've sort of covered all their bases until they've become homogenous, you know? Um, it's interesting. Um, that's an excellent point. And it'll be, it's actually kind of an exciting um, potential because I, I think those communities are, are something that people um, long for in that they used to foster um, some really interesting uh, and nurture some interesting talent. And, you know, if you think about the, the Zappas of the world um, and some of those really out there folks that were in mainstream culture at the same time, um, you know, it, it's kind of you kind of feel like maybe the, a, a renewal in that um, commitment to incubate folks like that could be really cool to see and could lead to some really great music. <laughs> I certainly hope so. But they're they're going to have to try because um, I, I think the. You know, obviously the playbooks that they've relied on for the last you know, few years have, have just completely blown up. Um, and until we see you know, a, a TikTok artist with a second hit song, um, we're, we're just not seeing the, the current playbook getting validated. Um, they're going to have to try something else. Interesting. Um, speaking of something else, so we've talked about TikTok a couple times, and then we've talked about um, good old legacy formats like radio. Are there any places, um, any platforms or, or other sort of data channels um, that you feel are kind of sleepers, like that people should pay more attention to them, not because they're always right, but just because they have they produce some interesting um, additional adult uh, results that can flesh out a picture of what an artist is doing, what their career, how their career is doing. Um, anything like that, that you're like, oh, wow, people really should look more at X or Y. There are certainly still, um, uh, you know, tastemaker gatekeepers that are always helpful. It's just, it's, you know, additional validation. If, if this person likes it, then there's something to it. Um, kind of, kind of things that exist still on, on say, um, very specific blogs, although there are probably only a couple left, um, or, uh, you know, tastemaker YouTube channels, um, not so much with, with user playlists anymore. Um, but, uh, uh, there, there are a couple of spots for that, depending on what you're looking for. Um, one place, you know, in particular that, that is helpful for that middle ground, um, would be Bandcamp. And it's interesting um, and this is just, you know, I, I'm, I'm applying my own frustration for this on the outside. <laughs> I, there is a, a desperate need for, uh, for an audience uh, that is rabid for kind of non, 
hip hop pop, um, what we used to call indie or, or alternative or whatever. Um, and there's no real home for that right now or, or ecosystem that there used to be. Um, and there are a whole bunch of reasons for that, you know, death of the, the blogosphere, um, uh, you know, pitchfork going to Conde and, and covering Taylor Swift uh, instead of, of kind of the up and coming stuff we cared about the, you know, disappearance of, of venues, particularly in, in New York, even, you know, pre COVID um, there used to be these, these channels that, you know, you could kind of uh, create and see and, and keep tabs on and break artists through. And um, we don't really have that. And the closest thing we, I think we do have that uh, to that right now is, is Bandcamp. And, Bandcamp, uh, I think, just falls into the trap of, or not the trap, but makes the choice of, of unfortunately, a lot of things in that space where they want to continue to be kind of holier than thou. It's it's really very much the you know the experience of uh, of walking in the record <laughs> store and kind yes. of look being being looked down upon because you're buying a record that you should have had already. It was Jet, whatever Jack Black and High Fidelity. You know, don't tell anyone you don't own Blonde on Blonde. It'll be okay. Um, that is so funny. Yeah, it does have that vibe. Yeah, but it, it is a great, you know, breeding ground for, for you know, uh, slightly left of center artists. I wish they would kind of lean into that more and become a destination for that discovery. Um, and they, they just haven't done that yet. Yeah, it, they have some wonderful, um, you know, blog-like coverage where they go through and, and look at different artists and different genres and sort of emerging thing, emerging trends um, among the Bandcamp users. But there is the, yeah, you just have to go to the, you have to know where you're going, really, and know what you're looking for um, to find anything, um, which is a shame. Um, great. Well, I think, Travis, uh, we're going to take another little break here, and but then we're going to be right back. And I want to ask you about your own um, crazy journey of discovery as an entrepreneur and a music tech dude, <laughs> for lack of a better term. <laughs> sure. Okay. I've got to say it. Music Tectonic listeners are the smartest, coolest music tech minds out there. And so we're giving you a chance to speak up and win a prize. Every week, we pose a big question for you to answer in the Music Tectonics community app. At the end of the month, we'll choose the most awesome answer and send the winner uh, one of Dimitri's favorite books about business, music, technology, or just life. So here it is, your big question. In our interview, Travis talks about how in days of yore, there was a very lively ecosystem for finding and promoting indie rock or pop or alternative music, whatever you want to call it. Now, sadly, that ecosystem is basically gone, but we're all still finding new music we love or trying to spread the word about it to people we care about. I was wondering what tastemakers or gatekeepers do you turn to to discover new music? What's missing from your point of view? What do you wish were at, was out there to nurture artists and fan communities the way blogs once did? Look for the post that goes with this question in the Music Tectonics app community forum. We'll tag it, hashtag the big question and answer in the comments. If you're not a member yet, Dimitri will tell you how to join in at the end of the episode. Now back to the show. Okay, we're back with one more round here with Travis Rosenblatt of Meddling and Signal Distribution. I keep saying Signal Distribution, Travis, because I don't want anyone to get any sort of Elon Musky ideas um, here about your companies. Um, but I guess that was, excuse my 
ridiculous joke. Anyway, we, um, but we, what I wanted to, to talk about now was your own uh, path as, um, as a business person, um, how you went from being an A&R guy who's, you know, looking for music, trying to, to find um, artists that are worth signing to someone who is creating, you know, a data analytics platform, software as a service, all of those cra- crazy things that um, not everybody can combine in their life. And um, you do it by yourself. So tell me a bit about how you decided to start meddling and why you decided to keep 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 it kind of a, a solopreneur um, operation. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love to talk about it just because I think that there's a we see this with with artists and companies. As soon as something kind of pops up on the radar, people like to think of it as an overnight success. Uh, something that just popped up out of nowhere, and that's certainly not true for artists. I mean, they're you know whatever. Uh, you know, Lizzo was on their, their, you know, that song was a year old or, or Billie Eilish had been a campaign for, you know, three years before that song broke. There are, um, there's a lot of work that, that goes into these things. And I'm always fascinated by how people get started. Um, but uh, my own personal story is, is certainly less intentional than that. I don't know, you, you make it sound like these were all intentional choices and very impressive choices that were made. They really weren't. It was something that... Uh, uh, you know, I, I had to do, I, um, uh, I mean, as you alluded to earlier, I, I spent, uh, you know, years doing A&R for, uh, for Warner Brothers, um, and 300, um, and for about 24 hours at, at mom and pop. And, um, I was, uh, uh, feels weird to say I was a very good a and I, I, uh, there were artists that I found, you know, in, in, uh, 2010 that are, that are breaking today. I could, you know, discover these things early, flag them. It was also, I think, a lot easier in my day to uh, uh, to identify these things quickly. That would have, you know, uh, a shelf life. Um, but I was a really terrible employee, uh, and um, I like to defend myself with this, this great uh, Kara Swisher quote that uh, agreeable people don't invent things, and. <laughs> I, I think that's just a good snippet of, of how this all came about. Uh, I just kept getting fired from labels. Uh, I was not good at, at managing up. I was actually terrible at it. Uh, I was not interested in, in working on a team or figuring out how the game was played. Uh, I was just frustrated no one was listening. Um, and so uh, at the very end of, of 2014, uh, when I was fired from 300, I, uh, you know, had been in A&R for, uh, five years at that point, uh, you know, didn't have any hits under my belt that I could point to, was very proud of the things I had, you know, signed and tried to sign, but certainly, uh, was not going to be a good candidate to go and and try and work at my third label with zero hits. It was not going to work out well. I was trying, um, but then... Uh, I, you know, realized I, I had some time in my hands and I wanted to just build something that would help me in my next A&R job. Um, I have, I mean, no computer science background. I, I had to go and, and take some online coding courses just to put something super, super simple together uh, that I thought was just going to help me. And then I sent it around to, you know, the heads of A&R around town that I'd been, you know, hoping were going to talk to me about jobs to say, you know, sure, I have no hits, but here, look, I'm not a total idiot. 
Uh, and they came back to me and, and said, uh, well, this thing is cool. How much are you going to charge for it? And that made me realize, oh, this is, this is a company. This is what I'm doing. Uh, and I essentially, you know, went into, uh, into crisis mode, you know, went 16 hour days, me in my pajamas, my laptop on my sofa, learning how to code, coding the thing and getting it out there. Um, and so I started that, you know, January, 2015, uh, and I think had the first customers on, um, in August. So eight months, uh, of just absolutely going insane. Um, but it worked out and it's, you know, been evolving ever since, um, as I get better at it, as the marketplace adapts, as people come to me and ask for, you know, things that, that they want to see. Um, and I think that, uh, the uh, you know the the product and the market have, have kind of met somewhere in the middle where people have learned to do you know A and R research based on on what I offer, but also um, you know I've I've started offering things that uh, I know people want to look for based on my years in in A and R. That's a that's a great story. I love how you turned um, uh, challenges into uh, opportunities. I mean, for lack of a better word, that sounds a little cheesy, but. <laughs> You know, there's really no, it, that's a, that's an incredible story. And actually it kind of mirrors a lot of artists stories in that, you know, they were doing this thing that they loved and all of a sudden someone's like, Hey, there's value here. We can, we can use this. Um, that's pretty, pretty amazing. And, and then, so, but you know, having one company as, as a solo entrepreneur wasn't, wasn't enough. So you decided to go in a, uh, yet another direction, right. And get involved in a, a publishing startup. Yeah. So or startup publishing startup, excuse me. Yeah, the um, it, it was you know never really a decision to do meddling on my own. Is that no one else was interested. There was no money to hire anyone else. Uh, I sent it around to you know as many people I knew who were like uh, you know venture capital adjacent. I certainly didn't know anyone in that space at the time, um, and no one was interested. You know, people were telling me, okay, this is you know a, a couple years of good income for you, and and that'll be that. Um, I think that, you know, they've been wrong to a certain extent since it's obviously been six years and it's just growing like crazy, but, um, they are right in a sense that, you know, that the total addressable market here is really small. It's, uh, it's labels, publishers, mm -hmm. it's, it's business facing artist discovery, um, and trying to make money off of, uh, you know, expenditures at, at labels is, it's just not a great business. It works for this model because I bootstrapped it. And I think if I had gone out and raised, I would have to, you know, pivot into something else, um, as we've seen other companies in the space do, uh, just because the, the addressable market's really small. Um, so it was, wasn't really a, a, a choice to go it alone. Uh, there was just no other option. I had to. The uh, benefit of doing that is that, uh, you know, I, I built it all. I maintain it all. It runs itself. I have no employees um, other than you know, doing demo calls or talking to clients who were essentially all, you know, friends I've known from doing A&R for years anyway, there's very little actual time I need to spend on it. Um, so 2015, uh, as I mentioned, as you could probably imagine, uh, sucked. It was, you know, uh, just absolutely, I have to do this. I, there is no backup plan. Um, you know, my girlfriend moved out. I didn't see friends for a year. Uh, it was, it was rough. So the company started working. Um, and I essentially just took 2016 off, uh, did some traveling, 
you know, got back in touch with, with friends, spent some, a lot of time with family. Um, in 2017, uh, I started a record label, um, that would, was just designed to handle universal international releases in the U S uh, because they were not, you know, tending to, to their international repertoire in the States, uh, in a way that, that those international labels really wanted them to, um, so spent a year working on that, uh, that eventually Universal just shut down, uh, which is totally fair. I should not have been making money off of, of their repertoire that they spent, you know, all of that time money on. Um, it was just that, that nobody else was. Um, that was 2017. And then 2018, I spent uh, essentially talking to, to Universal about a job. Uh, and it was going to, you know, cross over a bunch of different things. Um, and none of that really happened. Um, you know, they were flying me around the globe trying to figure out where I sat and where it fit in. And, and it was entirely separate from, from meddling, actually. Um, and I would have, you know, loved to do that, but it, it didn't end up coming through. So I essentially took um, some of the core ideas I had uh, from talking to them for a year. And I went instead um, to, uh, to Techstars Music, uh, which is a, a tech investment accelerator uh, in L.A., um, the guy who runs this guy named Bob Moss, who I knew when he was head of music at Twitter and I was at 300 and we had a, a data partnership and I spent a lot of time with those guys. And I basically took it to him and said, Hey, you know, I have this idea, uh, universe is not going to run with it. I bootstrapped the first company. I have no employees. I can't do that with this idea. Uh, can you help me turn this into a company? Um, so I went out, spent three months, uh, with them. Uh, figuring out what exactly it looked like, and, and it ended up being, uh, you know, signal distribution, which uh, is essentially trying to, to simplify uh, royalty infrastructure. Uh, it's you know a, a global direct performance and mechanical collection uh, company. It uh, you know bundles uh, all the rights that that you need to be going out and collecting as an independent artist. Uh, all in in one place, and it's just something that that should be happening already. And for every you know music company 2.0 out there that I've either worked for or talked to, there are people addressing you know bits and pieces of it um, or trying to build on top of it. But I don't think you can really do any of that until you solve for the underlying pipes. And we're just not doing that. I mean, now we have you know, the MLC and, and the US, and we'll see how that goes. And I certainly wish them all the best. But uh, even with that, you know, ASCAP successfully lobbied to make sure that MLC could not collect performing rights. So your mechanicals on your performing rights are collected separately, even though it, you know, mostly comes from one person hitting play on one song that you, you know, wrote or, or had a part on. Um, and it gets more complicated even internationally, where, you know, if somebody is, if you're a US songwriter, somebody streamed your song, in the UK, you know, PRS, the, the UK uh, CMO gets paid first, and then that money has to flow through correctly to you. Uh, and if it does, everyone gets to take, you know, their admin fees along the way. And there's just no reason it has to look like that anymore. And I think until we actually get to it and, and fix those problems and, and, you know, fix the, the wild inefficiencies and, and royalties, um, we just can't really do anything else. Like it, that then allows for so many other things uh, to, to grow and to flourish. It, it, it's not sexy. 
it's not super interesting unless you're uh, you know, aware of, of how it all runs, but it's something that just has to get done. Yeah, it feels like we're still dealing with quite a Rube Goldberg machine of, you know, this accretion of various historical formats and approaches and methods. Um, and while the digital digital has really disrupted um, distribution and listening, there is so much else that still has to catch up. And, um, you know, licensing and, and royalties being the biggies. It's quite, um, it's daunting because, right, it's an international system under um, all these different jurisdictions and um, with all these players that are long entrenched um, and maybe very well-meaning, but they've been there forever and they have their way of doing things. So it's a lot of, a lot of pieces to move at once. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but because it's, you know, so many pieces, that's, that's just where the inefficiencies come in. I mean, these, you know, the, this group of, of PROs and CMOs, these performance rights organizations or collection management organizations, uh, yeah, have been around you know, 170 years and change. Um, and their jobs used to be really difficult. You know, you'd have to go in and, and license every theater, cafe, uh, and, you know, collect for the artists in your territory. And then, you know, when um, uh, there started being, you know, cross-cultural uh, consumption, then you'd collect and, you know, you wouldn't go and collect in other territories. You'd rely on the local ter- the local collection agency that was already there to collect for you. And then you'd come back and you'd, you'd do a relationship where you'd pass royalties back and forth. These things, it, it all makes sense where it all came from. Um, and frankly, we, we have just gotten to a point where, there has been so much innovation on the consumer side and not enough on the actual music industry side. Uh, we haven't been able to catch up and adapt. And it's just time to kind of do the what I call the etch-a-sketch end of the world. Just shake it all and, <laughs> and start over again with a clean line. Um, and, and you can. And it'll highlight you know, some issues here uh, and there that, that definitely still exist. There are still going to be some territories where it's impossible to get money out of. Um, at all, or it'll highlight, you know, certain territories where money is getting taken that people don't realize because it doesn't get reported back to them. I mean, it's the only part of the industry. It's actually the only industry I can think of where, uh, you know, it, it was your money. It was meant for you, but somebody else gets to decide whatever their expenditures are first and then give you the remainder of it. And, you know, as things have become increasingly digital, those expenditures should be going down. Uh, and they haven't been. They've been going up. And that makes no sense at all. Yeah, it is. Um, it's definitely, a, 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 it's a, I don't want to say a ridiculous situation because it makes sense. But at the same time, it is, it's really unfortunate because while the music business has seen a resurgence, it's still, if you look at other entertainment um, sectors, is not the biggest. And um, there, and artists are, are feeling squeezed and are starting to understand that there's money out there. And it's almost like this is a problem that we really need to solve for the health of the whole business, including the creative side, which is naturally the most essential side. So um, yeah, well, I, you are, um, you know, I don't want to compare you to Don Quixote, maybe it's more of like a St. George and the Dragon kind of thing. But I wish you luck on your quest because (laughs) you're on a a mission that's that's necessary. But, um, you know, but yeah, um, you're you're a brave man. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> anyway, um, Travis, thank you so much for your um, for your candor and um, for your time and for sharing your thoughts. This is really really great. Um, any last things before we go? Any um, fun thoughts to kick off 2021? Um, anything else you want to say? 
Uh, oh man. Uh, just you know, <laughs> to, to everyone listening, uh, good luck. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Here we um, go. You know, it's it's okay to go back to bed some days. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of pressure to, you know, uh, whatever optimize or or uh, yeah. you know whatever master something. And and I think you know a lot of days it's fine just to make sure your kids aren't setting the house on fire. <laughs> Very sage advice. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much, Travis. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll, I will talk to you all again soon. Hey, thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Become a part of the Music Tectonics community, a social network just for music tech aficionados like you. It's free to join. Use it on the web at app.musictectonics.com or find the mobile app for Apple and Android devices in the relevant app stores. Connect with people from all corners of music and tech, answer the big question, and meet me there on Together Tuesdays. There's more about the community app, this podcast, episode, our annual conference, and our newsletter at musictectonics.com. Peace! You're listening to Music Tectonics.